0: Previously on Dry Powder, Karen Harris, the managing director of Bain's Macro Trends Group, discussed the confluence of macro risks unlike anything she's seen before.
1: The best outcome is a normal recession.
0: But once you get your head around all the possible outcomes for the global economy, what can you actually do as an investor?
1: Scenario planning is looking at disjunctive outcomes. You don't have to believe them, but in five years, we wished we had done X, Y, or C? Based on these extreme plausible scenarios.
0: Today on Dry Powder, Karen and I will discuss how private equity investors can scan their portfolio for ignition critical risks without getting bogged down in everything that might happen. We also think about what new opportunities or business models might emerge in a post globalized world. I'm Hugh MacArthur, head of Bain's global private equity practice, and this is Dry Powder. We've talked about a lot of different scenarios playing out across the different geographies globally, and investors are grappling with, how do I figure out what the likely outcome is? What kinds of scenarios do I run? How does an investor scan their portfolio without getting bogged down in everything that might happen?
1: Yeah, I think there are two layers with which investors really need to think about macro. The first is for investment committees, for the leadership at a total firm level Because the tailwinds that create value often are unstated. And an example of that is the exposure that some companies and funds had to commodities growth being fueled by China, specifically Chinese housing. And that was underlying bets on companies everywhere from Brazil to Sweden and there's nothing wrong with having strong perspective on future growth, but it needs to be deliberate, not accidental. And there was a stack up of risks that didn't reflect the actual underlying beliefs of funds. And that's an opportunity to diversify and say, we're going to limit the way we expose ourselves here. So that's the fund level view of macro. And I think looking through a portfolio, pretty top line analysis of geography, of industry, of what the thesis was for each of those deals can reveal whether there is some sort of implicit move in a direction that may need to be corrected.
0: Do you have any examples of how clients that you've worked with lately have thought about how to hone in on these extreme outcomes, but they may be plausible, so I need to think about them?
1: So one way we've seen a very sophisticated multinational deal with this is to think about their risks implicitly along two dimensions, one of which was how globalized or deglobalized they thought the world was going to be. The other was dealing with a major transition and how fast or slow that particular transition was taking place. And that really allowed them to create four scenarios across that two by two that were pretty extreme, but plausible. What I like about that method is one, it really reduced their macro risks down to a couple of profound ones that mattered for their business, as opposed to getting distracted in the rabbit holes of all the things like, well, what will happen with the British election, which is awfully fun to talk about, but isn't necessarily profound. The second thing that I really liked about that is it forced them to have a conversation again, about extreme but plausible scenarios. And when you're doing scenario planning, I think the trap that we often see is you get a base case that you feel really good about. you you build a consensus and lots of detail and then you torture it up and down 20% and call that scenario planning. But scenario planning is looking at disjunctive outcomes. You don't have to believe them, but they can be really instructive in the case of this, company, it allowed them to say, this is plausible enough that we could actually do an acquisition in this bottom left scenario. And by the way, we have the balance sheet, and there are good prospects here that would generate decent returns within our companies, and it creates a lot of optionality for us.
0: And is that kind of two-by-two matrix something that a private equity firm could apply to any business in their portfolio?
1: Absolutely. I would even say that you'd probably develop one across each of your thematic areas of focus because they'll have different outcomes. For a U.S. software company, macro rarely matters. You now, as much as it breaks my heart, sometimes we're just not invited to the party for a good reason. It's just not what's driving returns there. Whereas for some businesses, it is really fundamental. And so thinking about the macro factors that matter, our team usually advises that if you've got more than five, you just need to reduce that down. I can't think of a business, even if you're an oil major that has five important macro variables, three is fine, but two is great. If you can really say these are actually the two that change the way we're acting. And of course, there are ups and downs, but it's, would we make different decisions? In five years, would we wish we had done X, Y, or Z based on these extreme possible
0: scenarios? Right. Now, Karen, we, we've talked a lot about risk, and I don't want to get any of our listeners depressed talking about risk. So let's shift gears just for a moment and talk about opportunities, which are also created by macro events and these types of situations that we've been talking about globally, what new opportunities or business models might emerge in your view in a post-globalized world? Yeah,
1: so this is a really exciting time. Maybe I'm just naturally counter-cyclical, but I'm really optimistic about some of the opportunities that investors have. We are going through a secular change. The tailwinds that created the last business environment, falling interest rates, globalized world, labor pools growing as markets expanded, urbanization, all of those are reversing for this next cycle. And that means the businesses that we need to support those changes are also changing and evolving. And I think about private equity alone, just the LBO model, that in itself was a brilliant innovation based on observations about the tailwinds and secular trends of the last era. So what are some of the changes that we're looking towards? You mentioned a post-global world, one where transportation and logistics becomes more expensive, where regulation may change the nature of accessibility of markets which means you need to replicate the goods and services in multiple regions, perhaps in a way that is more cut to fit the particular demands of those consumers, be it certain types of technology or telco. And so that changes the scale, but doubles or triples the number of players that can be successful. A post-global world is one where national security begins to matter a lot more. COVID revealed the vulnerability different countries had to foreign supply chains around things that felt like they should be something that nations could always get their hands on. So we're seeing impetus for reshoring the Inflation Reduction Act is quite an example of that. And advanced economies cannot reshore without automation. We don't have the warm bodies to support that kind of reshoring. And we're frankly short of people now in the services sector. So service sector automation for goods, goods production, we've already seen a lot of that industrials. What an incredible and transformative opportunity that will be for investors over the next cycle. We will also see new business model innovations and things like CARE for aging populations. You can catastrophize about where we'll end up, but we'll see astute founders and investors say, actually, there are solutions for that. And we can invest behind those in ways that really unlock some of the challenges we see. So those are just a few examples. But I would say, if I were going to put all my personal money behind a single trend if I were forced to. uh, Service sector automation would be certainly amongst my list of potential contenders.
0: Fascinating. So it sounds like in many industries and geographies, the macro is here to stay. And people need to think in terms of thematic investing. They need to think in big picture terms of where technology is going, where trade agreements are going, where a lot of factors that perhaps weren't so prominent 10 or 15 or 20 years ago are going to be prominent for successful investors over the next five or 10 years.
1: Well said. You know, In light of the discussion we've been having about this secular transition, what sort of advice are you giving clients to try to navigate this turn in the
0: world? Well, Karen, given all that I've learned from our discussion today, I think we need to get really pragmatic about what to do on Monday morning as an investor and what we talk to our GP clients about. We've got a co-investment history at Bain of over 30 years and investing in deals alongside of our clients. And that co-investing history shows that if you buy anything cyclical in terms of an asset within 24 months of a recession, there's about a 70% chance of capital impairment in that investment. So I certainly would be taking a very hard look in any cyclical industry right now. I'd be running multiple recession scenarios for anything that I might be buying, and certainly anything that's actually in my portfolio. That that is a must do. And certainly, as in 2009, I think in doing deals, investors need to be prepared to over-equitize a close and figure out the debt later for quality assets if debt markets become problematic. And we're starting to see some early signs of that as the Fed is pushing interest rates up, as the UK is starting to move in that direction, the ECB potentially moving in that direction soon. Debt markets will not unfreeze and freeze as quickly as the $3.6 trillion we have in dry powder for private equity will. That $3.6 trillion wants to go to work and the industry can't let the credit markets dictate whether it will go to work and when it will go to work, at least not entirely. And so, I think being more aggressive at equitization and figuring out the credit side of the investment ledger later is a trend that we did see and we will see going forward. For current portfolios and looking at assets in there, I think obviously dusting off those costs out and pile the cash on the balance sheet playbook from 2020 is something that we're already seeing, but that's simply prudent. You know, As you mentioned, this could be a quote-unquote normative recession of the 1990 variety. It could also be a 2007-2009 severe recession uh, or great recession, and we just don't know yet. So you need to actually be sure about what your balance sheets look like. Uh, what your cost plans look like and that you're efficient with all of the businesses that you have in the portfolio now we also spoke about a big new wrinkle being inflation it is impacting margin substantially in many many industries that our our clients invest in so if you don't have a pricing playbook for where you can actually make some of that margin up and price to reflect the increasing cost structures that a lot of businesses have, you need to get one. And you need to get one yesterday and actually begin to implement it because those margins are going to take years to come back. Also, sector expertise is actually an important factor here because if I'm only investing, for example, in six subsectors of the software industry, I know what the risks are. I know what I'm underwriting. And therefore, the kinds of things that can happen are more, you know, inside the box if you will. Continuing to build those subsector appropriate muscles to help companies grow revenues and widen margins is going to be even more important in the future. And I would say lastly what I would recommend to clients is to remember the core lesson of 2009. Investor after investor who had to give up on a company in 2009 really regretted it by 2014 and 2015. When they realized that combinations of monetary policy, fiscal policy, smart negotiating with the banks and customers and other stakeholders often allowed folks to hang on to assets until GDP recovered, until sectors recovered. And then actually, they did find ways to sell assets at reasonable returns, it seemed impossible in 2010. And so, if you do have a portfolio company that gets into trouble, find a way to hang on to it and ride out the storm.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, Karen, I have certainly learned a lot more about these complex factors that are creating both risk and opportunity. Thank you so much for stopping by the show today. It's been great. Thank you. I'm Hugh MacArthur. Thank you for listening.